Welcome to Always in the Garden with Jason Jorgensen. In this podcast series, Jason and his guests share their passion for plants, gardening, and landscape design from around the world. Jason is the founder and owner of Third Spring Landscape Design, a Seattle, Washington-based landscape design company. And now your host, Jason Jorgensen. Good afternoon, everybody. Today on my podcast, uh, Always in the Garden, we've got uh, a special guest here today, uh, George Lash. Uh, he is uh, he loves to connect people and plants through education and public gardening. Uh, he's an instructor at Edmonds Community Co- College at, with horticulture, and he is also uh, owner of a new website, Nucifera Grows. And uh, welcome, George. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you so much for having me and for all this fun stuff that you do to share with the world. Thank you. Yes. So uh, this uh, series is uh, specifically focusing on low water, summer dry gardening. And uh, today, George and I are going to talk about some plants that we like and also some maintenance and um, some tips about keeping those gardens looking really good uh, in a low water usage situation. Indeed. I like talking about plants and telling people how to take care of them because <laughs> I've got a, oh, opinions, we'll say. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Opinions, opinions are good. Yeah. We want to hear everyone's opinions. I know you like to, you have a thing about plants, right? They have I, to be. They have to be pretty. My bottom line is pretty. I don't care where it's native, how much it costs, or how much work is involved. If it's not pretty, it doesn't have any value to me. Wow, that sounded really shallow. But hey, taking shallow to a new depth here. <laughs> well, now, that's what they the do garden. at nurseries, right? They're, exactly. They're, they're marketing plants yeah. because of pretty. It's pretty, yep. Okay, well, so let's talk about maintenance and some favorite plants. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you lead us with a couple of some of your favorites, and I, or I can lead you with one of my new favorite. What's, what's your new favorite? What's the hot thing? My new hot thing, of course, is this grass that everyone loves. It's uh, Stipa barbata, and it is a really wonderful, tall, billowy grass. So the panicles are just wonderful. and. Wow. If you go to the website at alwaysinthegarden.com, I'll have some photos posted. So, cool. uh, But it's this really beautiful plant. Uh, it blooms late grass. It blooms, you know, midsummer, early to midsummer, and then it turns this really beautiful white, long, kind of like a cat whisker, and it blows in the wind. Billowy cat whiskers in the wind. Yes. Doesn't that sound really it fun? It sounds sort of romantic, fantastical. Um I bet that you're going to put up a little short video of those cat whiskers in the wind later in the season when they're a little drier and fluffier. Yeah. And every little breeze catches them and shimmers them. They just dance around. It's It's pretty magical. It's a good, good plant. Yes, it's really fun. And so easy. Yes. Doesn't live forever, but that's okay. It's seeds. You can... I have limited experience with it, but I've collected the seed last year in my garden and I planted those seeds and all of the... I'd say 75% of those seedlings came up. So so are we talking invasive? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think... Because you know how I feel about invasives. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's on the line of uh, of the Mexican feather grass, the Nacella tenuissima. Which is 
uh, popular. Yeah, and, popular. Uh, you know, <laughs> and invasive. <laughs> so you know how I feel about invasive. I think the word should be reserved for war and surgery. Uh, plants are just trying to make a living. It's a global garden, after all. Get used to it. If you can get something green to grow, do it. That's a but great. Yes, yeah. and another thing about stipas and probably barbata, especially because barbata implies that it has barbs. Yes, um, is that it has a tendency. Uh, the seeds have a tendency to drill their way in. Yes, uh, to fur or clothing or paws um, of animals. Yeah. yeah. Those kind of paws, I meant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So something to think about. Um, not a huge problem, but it is of concern. Yeah. Yeah. So for those pet owners out there or small kids, you know, be careful. Don't stick in your sister's ear. Okay? Yes. Just yes. Don't. <laughs> It'll hurt because it has barbs that face one way and it's not pulling back out. Yeah. Like, and like yeah. a fish hook. Kind of. Yeah. With lots of little tiny fish hooks on it. Perfect. <laughs> yes. It's interesting, I'm uh, teaching a, a class, uh, Ornamental Grasses, coming up this summer for Edmonds, and one of the students ahead has already emailed me and said, I know you're going to talk about grasses, and they're really cool and everything, but this is my question I'll have for every single grass. Does it have awns and seeds that burrow into my dog's paws? Oh, wow. So I've been looking into this, and yeah, what most a proactive of the do, and uh, hordium is another one that does, but it's pretty rare, actually. So anyway, that something it, to think about. That it gets uh, that far into the skin? That it gets or? stuck, but oftentimes it's between their paws where it oh. has a chance to, to get in. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's... Something. Anyway. So, so... But it does great in uh, dry gardens, and it's months and months of interest from that stipa. Oh it's yeah, so pretty. Well, I really like uh, uh, st- uh, stipa. Um, oh, now the name just flew out of my head. Well, uh, just on the, those the the large format one, stipa gigantia. There we go, large, large format, format gigantia. Wow, that's a beautiful. But you need a lot of space for that to look really good in a garden. It needs a little bit of uh, air around it. I guess we'll say um, it doesn't actually take up a lot of space because that huge fluffy heads are. Well, I don't know, six to 12 feet tall, we'll say, on a good day. Yeah. Um, But from a very compact little evergreen clump, the clump is maybe a couple feet across and a couple feet tall, beautiful evergreen, and then giant fireworks in early summer that last a long, long time. Although I think I've seen at, um, I think Zira Plants has one that is a smaller cultivar variety i believe Banish this idea yeah i'm i'll see if i can find yeah. that information but you know uh, i think uh it's certainly small enough if you will for a hell strip or sidewalk planting and i'm a big fan of in interactive planting that whole public garden thing you know experience the garden and some stip of gigantia flower heads hitting you as you walk down the sidewalk isn't so bad really yeah those are, i mean it's a beautiful beautiful plant i mean you've got the this billows catches, like you were saying about, well, the other steepa as well, all the steepas, they just catch the little bit of air and they just dance around. They're really quite lovely. Favorite group of grasses. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. Steepa ichu. Ichu. Um, it itches you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it gets stuck in you and itchu. Itchu. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a quote from my friend Yoko, who, uh, while taking photographs in the Andes, backed into some uh, very uh, coarsely grown one, and indeed. It uh, got stuck and itched you, and it itched her all. And it itched her the whole time. <laughs> but in the in the gardens here, it's uh, it's quite pretty. Another smaller 
smaller compared to Gigantia. Yeah. Uh, Stippa, very, very graceful. And long season, that's why we love grasses. Not a yeah. lot of work in a long season. Now, I haven't seen that one in any nurseries. You can it, find seed of seeds, it, and it's, uh, it's fairly quick and easy. I think Barbata seed. is a prettier one. The the flowers are the much format. longer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm always impressed by it. I, mean, I saw it for the first time in Central Oregon at a nursery, and then saw it quite heavily used in England uh, the last summer, in the summer of uh, 2018, and just fell in love with it and knew I needed it. So so that's your new favorite hot plant. That's my new favorite what do you, hot plant. What do you pair it with? Let's have some contrast <clears throat> of texture and or symmetry or something. So I have it, uh, so of course this is in a summer dry garden, and so I've got it planted uh, with some Zauschneria. Now I believe it's called epilobium. But if you say epilobium, people think fireweed and, and not zauschneria, which yeah. is actually pretty. Yes. There we are. So I have some um, zauschneria planted with, and I also have some uh, penstemon uh, pinifolius. Mm, lovely. Some really bright uh, red, red and orange mix of flowers with that uh, stipa. And I actually also have some... Hesper aloe planted with it. Oh, so the regular uh, orange Hesper aloe, the red one. Yeah, so orange, or orangey red. red. Well, you're. I guess they do call it red, though. You know, to me, it's there's orange. also a yellow one. Too. Yellow one. That's what I was getting. You know, the dark one or the yellow one. Yes. Yeah, it's good. I would love to see it also with sort of like flomus. I think would look great with it because that coarse texture and then the stiff stacked flowers of flomus are awesome. Yeah, Jerusalem sages. There's not a bad one, by the way. No. No. Do you have a favorite of uh, within you know, the Flomus? Uh, I'm genera? going back to Russelliana, actually, the big yellow flowered one that's um, not a shrubby one. It's a herbaceous one. Tends to be evergreen. Uh, in a harsh, harsh winter, it looks a little raggedy, but most of the years it looks great. And uh, absolutely no water requirements. The leaner the soil, the better. Better, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that. I I like um, another one that I really like is uh, is Flomus italica, which has a kind of a really pale. I mean, it's almost like a silver leaf, beautiful, and then a purple, purple pink flower, very small. Yeah, but lots of them in a nice yes. tall stack. Yeah, yeah. That that verticalister stack of uh, Flomus flowers is. Is wonderful and it lasts a long time into yeah. the winter. That's a, it, it, it's of great interest, especially if you are, and which I highly recommend, leave your plants up as long as they look good. Even in after they've flowered out, you've got some really nice fall and winter interest if you do that. Yeah, there's one, I, I received a, a a cutting of this Flomus Samia. Mm. And that thing is now starting to self-seed in my garden, which is kind of nice. Which is nice, because you've got the ideal situation for these Mediterranean-esque plants to self-seed with that gravel as a mulch. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. And, well, I mean, this uh, that, that, that really helps kind of tie it all together and kind of makes that look and feel that same that feeling. So that's that's a really nice aspect of it. So you so let's just get back to the 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 flomus before we jog on back to the jogging all over uh, yes the, the yeah, flomus land. So um, are there any other like uh, smaller format ones that you like? Um, there's some dwarf versions of flomus fruticosa that have more uh, silveryish foliage. Um, flomus fruticosa, the shrubby yellow one, that's pretty common. You can cut it hard in the spring and it'll regrow just fine. 
Um, smaller format. I, I do like Samia as well. It's a weird color. It's sort of brown, tea-stained, purpley lavender. But it's really very, very pretty. And the yeah. foliage on it is just gorgeous. Um, there's a ton more uh, Flomus out there. I actually kind of like uh, Flomus tuberosa, the big pink one. Yeah, that's that's, a nice one. has, you know, quite green, green leaves and not nearly as felty or evergreen as most Flomus, more of a deciduous uh, herbaceous plant. And that, you know, the green leaves would also indicate that it takes richer and more moist soil as well. But a really good all-around plant. I have it in rather, you know, crappy in the sand bed soil uh which doesn't get any supplemental water in the summer here and actually it does okay it's a bit uh tighter than it would be in the regular garden uh, oh. flomus tuberosa yeah oh that's a nice one yeah i i mean flomus well that just kind of pushes you back all the way into the whole uh, mint family of plants that do so well in these mediterranean style gardens yeah yeah that's um i mean beautiful scent you crush them sometimes maybe not the best scent but then they they do create a bit of um some really nice um kind of background foliage for awesome interesting flowers usually and i'm gonna just generalize here because i also tend to do that with my opinions that most mint family things are pollinator attractors be aware of that yeah that's great well we 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 need lots of pollinators anywhere we do yes in all gardens yeah that's uh yeah so think beyond lavender (laughs) although lavender can be quite lovely lavender is lovely and you know what it's a easy easy go-to um just don't water it yeah yeah don't fertilize it don't fertilize it don't water it well water it a little bit to get it established and that's it yes of course maybe once a month a good soaking water. Um, I like to, yeah, water infrequently and deeply. Yes, that's yeah. that's the best. Yes, definitely. Um, so uh, do you have any other favorite plants right now? Um, I'm still hot on, on Flomus. And, um, you know, you brought up Zauschneria earlier. I think it's one of those things that gets missed because in the nursery it's not in bloom until sort of midsummer on. Yeah. So you you miss out on it. It has beautiful silver foliage, so it doesn't look like a weed the first part of the season. But then it blooms, you know, for months and months. Yeah. With orangish, red, whitish, pinkish uh, selections. Um, but I think it's really good. It does run a little bit, but it's easily peeled back up again. I haven't noticed a ton of seedlings in mine. I've got five or seven different ones in the sand bed, but I I don't notice a lot of seedlings per se. Yeah. But it does um, cover ground yeah. and fill in between rocks and in between shrubs and stuff. It's not a thug by any means. Oh, that's great. But, uh, hummingbird attractor and pollinator attractor and that late season color, which we really need. Yeah. I think one of the things about summer dry gardens that people often forget is that it's great in June and into July. And by the end of July, it is really crispy. Yeah. <laughs> and by the end of August, it's dry. It's very dry. And that is often when Zauschneria. Uh, can we call it California fuchsia? I guess we could. I mean, that's what they—that's uh, sure. what they say at the nursery. It's some... not a, fu- but it is related to fuchsia. It's Ona Gracie. So yeah, sure. California fuchsia um, gets really gets going in that heat yes. of summer and looks good and fresh and clean. When a lot of other things that are drought tolerant 
are just kind of hanging out. (laughs) So I think that's one to not forget. Um, And as we're, you know, rapidly zooming towards July here, one worth seeking out. Little four-inch pots of silvery foliage will be amply rewarded. Yeah, and I've found in my own garden with, uh, like you were talking about, the gravel mulch, and I've planted it, and I'm getting it to starting to run and colonize. Yeah, I think colonize is a nice way to put it. Yeah, because, you know. Fill in. Fill in, filler. you know, a good three, silver foliage. three, four inch, a three, four foot patch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you want uh, in that time of year when there's really nothing going on. Yeah, and Zero Plants has lots of beautiful selections. Yes. And a four inch pot is plenty. Yeah. Yeah. I really like, so uh, another plant I really like um, in the garden right now is the Echinops. Echinops uh, Retro is a really beautiful one um, with the really spiky green leaves. And then you've got these little pom-poms. Well, they're not so little, but uh, good size pom-poms that are this nice purple Blue, purple. And with that overall silvery glow to Yeah. Them. When the light hits them in the evening, they just they pop and they look beautiful. Yeah. It's a very perfectly spherical flower head, which is, you know, odd. So even though they're, you know, ping pong sized, I guess we'll say. Yeah. They and kind of a, a dark blue, purple, green ish, silver. Um, they vary as they age, obviously. Um, they really show up because of that odd shape and the fact that they're fairly tall. Yeah, they kind of remind me of of all the ornamental allium in the spring, right. and then you get a repeat of that color and shape in the fall, yeah. or late summer to fall. Late summer to fall, and a good one for those areas that are more oftentimes thought of as being more shady yeah, uh, and dry, because it will take dry. Yes. Period. Yes. So if you're dry means that it's under mature dug firs that have been limbed up, obviously, because that's what we do to dug firs. We make little rockets out of them. Um, and it nothing will grow under there. Try pulling in some of these Mediterranean dry summer things like Echinops. And um, it has enough sun for it, but because it's so dry, it's not going to flop. Yeah. It won't yeah. be as lush and tall, obviously, if it was getting enough water. But. Yeah. Those are those. Yeah. That's, that's it's a un- wonderful thing. And uh, there's also some other species with uh, more silvery foliage and white flowers. Oh no, are, I haven't seen the white yeah, ones. They're a bigger white flower. Oddly enough, it doesn't nearly show up as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Looks a little more weedy. Oh, if that's possible. Little white plants in the garden looking weedy. Large white plants looking like thistles that are taking over the world. Yeah. <laughs> There, that was my opinion on that. Okay, that's good. No, Stick no, with no. the blue ones. Blue ones, blue, yes. And uh, do you have any other any I, other new favorite you know, right now? I mean, you said the Zauschneria. favorite. Well, um, I like them all. That's my problem. That's the problem. I'm hot on Agapanthus again this year, oddly enough. I, um, you know, poo-pooed them as grandmother plants for decades. And now, you know what? There's some damn good ones out there, and they're really good doers. And do you have a favorite that, uh, or one that you can recommend that maybe can handle a little drier situation? Than- I'm still a big fan of the ineptorous types. Uh, so like grass cop and black panther and all those really dark, dark black blue ones yes. with downward pointing flowers that I really like. That's and there's a ton of newer hybrid, like black panther is a newer. Yeah, I newer just actually saw that at the nursery. 
Yeah. And then the base of the leaves actually are almost dark purpley black. Purpley black as well. It's yeah. Really and the flower stems are often quite dark too, the, the pedestal yeah. itself. And how tall will they get? Um, they're rated at you know, three to four feet, and I'd believe it. Yeah. They look great. Um, well, of course, they look great in a garden, but you can also grow them in containers. And yes. they, if once they fill in those containers, they really like, they can really take off. Yes. Yeah, they take off. And uh, agapanthus in containers is always a good idea because they don't mind uh, restricted root growth. That actually helps them bloom if you're going to have them in a container. Uh, in the ground, they do fine. Yeah. I know I had a grouping of agapanthus in my own garden that... Um, took many years before it flowered. I planted it and it just, it seemed like it needed time to bulk up. They can, they can be a little shy to flower. Oftentimes they're flowering in the nursery container because they're pop out. Yeah. And then you put them out in the soil and, oh, hey, we can just grow and lounge for a little while before we decide that it's, you know, stressful enough to do it. Yeah. So absolute full sun. And if you're watering or fertilizing, dial back on that and that'll get them to bloom faster yeah that's great and i know they're a wor- they're a weed in parts of the world but they're so pretty and you know that flower shape again that spherical flower shape mimicking alliums later in yeah, the that, season especially like you're saying the dark purple the, the dark darker purple colored ones. ones yeah unfortunately um uh, some of the ones that are popularly uh marketed aren't the hardiest ones here they kind of resent our refrigerator season of cold and wet for six months yeah so yeah, but grass cop and that whole inepterous group, and I'm pretty sure that Wincliffe is going to be rolling out some good, good new ones too soon because he has so many. Really yeah, beautiful there, ones. there are lots of beautiful. And by the ones. way, you know, um, if uh, you have a chance, get out to Wincliffe in the summer. It's really pretty. Oh yeah, that's a yeah. it's an amazing it's garden. Open a little bit. Check their website. So. Yes. Well, or shameless plug for good gardens. Yeah, and good well. garden plants. Do it. <laughs> and you can do a little shopping too. You could shop there. You could yeah. take me along too, and I'll tell you what I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one for you, one for me, one for there you, one you for go. me. <laughs> I'd buy that. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. so more new plants are always coming. And, you know, I'm also a big fan of the old standbys too. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there are lots of really beautiful plants that do really well. Uh, we mentioned uh, on previous podcast um, the Prosantera. Uh, Cuneata is a, f- a really good, tough plant for a uh, summer dry garden and a beautiful evergreen foliage, scented, another one in the mint family. Gorgeous, gorgeous little shrub. Does really well. And then you've got the taller one, the uh, the Baja Peak, Baja which Peak. which just doesn't even look the same plant, but it's hard to believe they are. Well, they say they are, so we're going to go with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Baja Peak has uh, pointier leaves than regular Cuneata and much taller growing, and I think a more darker flower, if you will, more purpliness to the flower yeah, than yes. just white with purple specks. And a really beautiful, beautiful really, plant. And yeah. a pollinator attractor like crazy. Buzzing. But the bees just really, really love it. Yeah. So once we get those plants in the ground for the first season, we, of course, have to get them mulched, right? I mean, we want to cut down on weeds, and we want to... Um, Make it look pretty. Make it look pretty. We want to save as much water as we can. So um, one thing that I use a lot in my garden, and which George had mentioned earlier in the the conversation, was gravel. And I really love gravel because it's, you know, you get some really nice reflected heat. Um, 
it slows down the water. If it's a rainy day, it'll kind of uh, break the water tension, slow it down so your plants get a good drink, and uh, kind of has a nice finished look to it. And it's kind of natural. Yes. You know? I mean, it, it's the look of the Mediterranean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And Mediterranean climates, South Africa, yes. California. All of those. And uh, amended. Yes. <laughs> now I did climates like here. Yeah, and I and I did see um so I was just recently at the Bellevue Botanical Garden and one of the things that they are using they're using both a fine a finer um bark mixture wood wood chip mixture uh really finely ground and then they're using the large format like what you get from arborist like arborist chips from maybe right, like the back right. 40 or yeah kind of beyond where you would normally just kind of let your eyes look through a garden and what do you think about those two options? Um, I think arborist chips are a good option. Um, they do; they're not as pretty, obviously, yeah. but they certainly uh, early on in a in a garden. You know, when you're dealing with annual weeds or all that kind of stuff, or trying to make a garden, they're good. Depending on what uh, species was chipped, they do break down pretty quickly. We're all afraid of that nitrogen suck that happens because you know all the bacteria in the ground are consuming the wood and therefore they can't you know decompose anything else and it robs the area of nitrogen yes it does for a very short time yes and most plant roots of established things are already way beyond that and newsflash eventually it eats through all of that wood and it releases all of that nutrition which is really what you're after exactly so if you can find aged arborist chips all the better or better yet just put a little layer of compost underneath them when you put down, put them down, and then put the chips down, and then put the chips down, and if you really want to, you can then just put a pretty layer on top of it. So you can put your pretty bark or yeah, whatever on top of it, or so like a, a mulch sandwich, a mulch sandwich <laughs> ending with the pretty on top. Yeah, right? yeah there you, know, you it's go. It's like frosting a cake. You yeah, know, you do the crumb <laughs> layer first, and then yeah, then you get to the pretty stuff. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah, that's well. And one other thing, I I just dawned on me thinking about the gravel. One thing I really like about the gravel is it has some weight. And so in yeah. the summer when it's dry and you're not watering as much on an established garden, you, you don't have to worry about like, like a little dirt devil blowing through your garden and like uh, getting a face full of powdery uh, sawdust in yeah. your eye or yeah. in your face. That you know, and, and it stays put pretty much. And um, I like it because it breathes to me. It, it, it doesn't absorb water per se. So like some of the composty or even rotted wood chips, they're holding a lot of moisture, which for us in the winter in a, in a dry garden isn't always so good. Um, and the best part about uh, gravel mulch, as you probably have been noticing, is the seedlings really do much better in it. Oh, yeah. Because the seeds are built to you know nestle down in between the cracks and the gravel, find a foothold in some sort of soil underneath there. But then that gravel keeps the, the seedling bases dry yeah and so they don't rot out as as quickly well you probably have that happen with your sand beds yes. at your own yeah. garden yeah. i grow in sand my my quote mediterranean garden is and how deep sand. is that sand uh it's about four and a half feet deep in oh places. wow <laughs> yeah yeah um uh we're at 27 uh, yards of sand into oh wow the bed. <laughs> Well, so, that, I mean, that you're and it's 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 fun because, and I chose sand because it was cheap <laughs> and available, and um, it has that magic quality of air and water retention at the same time. Yeah. So you know, it really, really catches our winter rains, but it it as as a column, it drains quite quickly. But it's always damp underneath, and it's very easy 
for plant roots to go through it and down into the reservoir of water in the bottom of the sand bed. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, that kind of verges on the uh, that Sheffield method that Nigel yeah. Dunnett, uh, 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 George George Hitchmount, no. Um, well, I'm, the last name is Hitchmount. Um, Hitchmount. 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 Yes, uh, they're both professors at University of Sheffield, and they have this Sheffield. Hi, Sally O'Halloran. Yes. She's also a professor. <laughs> we went to school together. Hi, Sally. Anyway. See, that's great. See? <laughs> um, so uh, they, they also are huge proponents of planting in gravel sand mixtures yeah. And, yeah. and using annuals to self-seed into those beds or short, short-lived perennials and... Uh, you know that yeah. that will fill and uh, take up the space, and they may not be long lived, but you'll get this beautiful flush of color and as then, a as a pretty cover crop, an in between you know cover crop almost to keep the the weeds suppressed. Exactly, and there's a lot of wonderful, we'll say, California annuals, wildflower annuals that do that really really well. Limnanthes is a wonderful one for just making a mat and keeping other things from germinating. I was pretty surprised. I'm a, a big fan of opium poppies. Um, and some of course fell into the, into the sand beds. And this year I, I'm shocked. They're massive and beautiful Oh yeah, in no nutrition. That's I great. Mean, you know, unless they've gone down into the sub, to the, to the, below, the four, below feet. the four feet, <laughs> I don't know what they're in, but they're, you know, five feet tall and huge and I love them, but yeah, yeah. Annuals are, uh, are a wonderful in between thing. And you know, it, the garden changes as they move around year to year. Exactly. While your bigger stuff gets established. Because you don't want to push the shrubs and the bigger perennials too fast with food and water. You want them to be a little lean and, and yeah. sturdy. So annuals are fun. And w- one thing that I, I mentioned in a, also in a previous podcast was the kind of planting spacing for these summer dry gardens. And you're going a little bit closer uh, spacing because those plants are not getting fed. They're not getting watered as much once they're established. And so they're not going to be as vigorous as your typical garden. And they require, if you want to have that kind of really full naturalistic look, you need to plant a little bit closer. So a lot of times 24 inch on center, 18 inch on center, sometimes even six inch on center for like smaller ground covers. Yeah. And I, you know, on center is a relative thing for yeah. me. And I like to, you know, put some at three feet apart and some at three inches apart. Yes. Make it look a little more natural rather than the printed look of the landscape. Yes. Where it's <laughs> dotted out absolutely perfectly within the, within a centimeter of each other. Yes. Get out the ruler. Yes. Yes. No, no, plants grow and die also. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think a, a gravel mulch is really handy for that. Um, don't discount other things. Uh, I think one of the most beautiful mulches I've seen um, outside of shells, I'm a big fan of shells as mulch, of course, was, um, well, there's wine corks too. That was pretty cool. But uh, at Chanticleer Garden, they have sort of an Asian-inspired woodland garden and then a little, um, it's a restroom pavilion again, sort of tea house looking with a long overhang eave and bamboo and everything. And underneath the drip line of the eaves, where it's rather dry, was charcoal, like big, chunky, um, natural charcoal. Oh, wow. That sounds really nice. It was, you know, black on black on black. And it was just so artistic and beautiful and super functional because charcoal is around, well, forever. 
you know, I mean, once you've hardened the wood into charcoal, it's 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 kind of there. So yeah, that's uh, next on my list of uh, things to do is buy a pallet of charcoal. Charcoal and, of that uh, uh, that beautiful natural charcoal lump lump, lump charcoal. charcoal you Thank can get you. in the big bags. In the big bags. Yes. And um, yeah, don't wear nice a... clothes that day. Obviously, <laughs> don't wear your white suit. <laughs> don't wear your white suit after Labor Day on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I thought it was really pretty, and it's something that I'd like to repeat. And, you know, of course, you could do it in, in different sizes of, of stuff. I wouldn't do briquettes, even though they would look really cool, because they probably have some sort of chemical in them that's not so good. Yeah, that, that Especially would... the pre-lit, easy-to-light ones. Yeah, you definitely would want those. <laughs> natural. Yeah, you've got a spark of some, someone in your, at, your, at your next barbecue smoking a cigarette, and they throw that <laughs> cigarette down. <laughs> Smoking cigarettes. Well, oh, you mean cigarettes? Yes. Oh, oh well, maybe right. something, something else. Who knows? Uh, we'll just say fire pit spark. How's that? Yes, there, there we there go. We go. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, mulches in the in the garden are the answer because it's pretty and functional, and it keeps weeds down. It's odd though; the things you want to grow in there kind of do sometimes. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and I'm also a big fan of a chunky mulch on the outside edge of the property where the neighbors' weed seeds might blow in because they get caught in that chunky mulch on the outside edge of the property. So they don't they don't blow into so they don't blow in into the garden. So you've got this, you know, area of more weeds on the outside edge if you will. Yeah. That's a, that's a good idea as yeah. well. Yeah. Definitely. So well, great. Well, that, look, yeah, more plants? Well, more we, mulch? No, I think I think actually we have um we've run out of time. What? I mean, this has been like a really great conversation about some wonderful plants and some techniques that all of us can use in our summer dry gardens. And uh, just remember that, you know, we all uh, want to create beautiful spaces to use that are functional and that are great for the wildlife and pollinators and, and creating some of those summer dry gardens is a great way to do that. So, and plants are pretty. Yes. Yes. And if they're not pretty, then I don't really, then we don't keep them. them. Do I? Sorry. That, yeah. That's when the editing comes. Editing. It's my favorite word. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for having me. This has been great fun. Absolutely. Well, right. thanks again. And thanks again for listening to Always in the Garden with Jason Jordan. We reached the end of another episode of Always in the Garden with Jason Jorgensen. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us online or find resources, materials, and behind-the-scenes photos at alwaysinthegarden.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to listen to our other episodes. Remember, you can find us always in the garden. Host, Jason Jorgensen. Executive producer, Johan Leisha. Music by Pierre Dubouton. Introduction, Diana Rodriguez. <laughs>